Welcome to the Senator Jim Podcast. Fake news, fake news, fake news. By a dishonest army of propagandists in the corporate media. Have you read the bill? Hell no, you haven't. I'm worried about the fact that our workers are seeing a decline in their standard of living. This isn't real. This is a TV show. This is clickbait. This is theater. The distinguished senator from California is recognized. Ladies and gentlemen, when you hear this siren, that means Senator Jim is going to the Senate floor. That siren is super annoying. You need a different sound. Just stop it. Yeah, just stop it. What are you doing? I told you to stop it. What? That was an accident. You and that sounded more annoying than Jim Carrey. Okay, no, that was an accident. This button is just really sticky. I hate working with idiots. I think you spilled something here. That was on purpose. I did that because you called me an idiot. You deserve to be called something worse. If you don't stop it, I'm going to kick you where my dad told me to never kick a man. I think I'm done. We need to focus. Okay, Senator Jim is at the podium. We're going to talk to him. Mr. President, I ask unanimous consent to suspend the quorum call. Thank you, Mr. President. Everybody loves to give their first Senate speech, so I come to the floor to discuss one of the most important political forums in America. This is number one on my list. The most important thing that we can do for Americans, the number one thing that that when I talk to people, they say, hey, this is what's going to change the way we, this is going to change democracy, this is going to change America for the better. And that is, let's change the way we elect the president from the archaic, outdated, undemocratic electoral college to the simple national popular vote, or something as close to and similar to the national popular vote as we can get. I know this is going to alarm, disturb, and cause some consternation with some folks because they believe that a national popular vote would disadvantage their partisan preference. Now, if you're taking a stance on a policy because it goes against your partisan preference, not because it is not part of the fillers of our Constitution, the founding of the government, then I'm, I'm going to question your intentions and whether you're truly a part of someone that wants to reform democracy in America. But I'm going to lay out from the Senate floor why a national popular vote is an easy to understand, defend, 
and simple concept to support, and it's a much needed reform to our electoral system. So let's talk about what it looks like when, on election day when I go to the ballot and when I vote for my federal officials. There's three representatives, sorry, three elected officials that represent every citizen. Every citizen votes for these people. That is a house, the house, the senate, and the president. So yes, there's three branches of government at the federal level and we elect Thank goodness we elect by direct process the Senate, but we elect um, one House member, one sen two senators, and one president. Now, when, when I go and when we elect the House, everybody in my House district gets to vote, and those votes are equally weighted across the House district, and whoever wins that vote becomes a representative. The same thing in the Senate. When I elect for a senator, when I voted for myself, every person had a chance to look at the ballot, and those same votes were weighed equally across the state to elect senators. However, I will note that senators weren't always elected in this matter. In fact, in the 19th century, there was quite an uproar of the country about how the wealthy, the rich, and the powerful in this nation were buying votes, and they were buying themselves a Senate seat. So. I've heard in some corners people will talk about repealing the uh, 17th Amendment, but I don't understand. Someone's going to have to explain to me why folks want to roll back the 17th Amendment, because I think that would take us back to a time when individuals could go back to bribing themselves a Senate seat. And I think the 17th Amendment is a great uh, example of how we've changed our system for the better to be more democratic. And what's funny about the 17th Amendment is that at one time, the senator was explained, uh, one of the senators that was accused of buying the seat, he basically said, I never bought a man who wasn't for sale. Pretty simple. I don't think we want to go back to that time. And finally, besides our congressional representatives, we elect the president. Every four years when we vote for president, that vote is not just across my district, like a representative, it's not just across our state's like the Senate, but it's across everybody else in the country. Everybody in the country votes for the presidential candidates. Now, unfortunately, contrary to the House, contrary to the Senate, our votes aren't weighted the same when it comes to the president. When I'm voting in California through the Electoral College, it's been pretty well assumed and it's pretty standard and maybe it will be for the next couple of election cycles that California's electoral college votes will end up with one party. The Democrats going to win California. In the same way, a state like Texas is going to surely, up until now, even though there's been a lot of talk about turning Texas purple, nobody's been able to successfully turn Texas purple. But in the same way, Texas votes are going to end up with the candidate of the Republican Party. So, how long is this going to be? Voting for someone who's elected to a nationwide office. The measure of importance in the way of our ballot differs. I have never listened to a politician speak for more than 20 minutes. Pretty He's crazy not going to be happy with us talking. Does it make sense is that it's good for us to talk over him? I got some music. I'm going to put it on. To go Just listen to this. Get weighted more when it comes to president? I don't think so. In fact, that seems pretty undemocratic to me. So, during the presidential election, a bunch of states get to throw their weight around. 
I'm talking about Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Arizona. And it used to be Florida and Ohio, but Florida and Ohio, they're no longer battleground states. They're pretty, they're pretty safe for Republicans, so now Arizona and Nevada are the new battleground states. And so I asked Mr. President, the question is this, how come the citizen in California voting for the same president, looking at the same ballot, why, does, why should somebody in Arizona or Nevada or Pennsylvania or another battleground state, why does their vote get more weight simply because their state is closer to a toss-up state? So if we follow the notion that it's one citizen, one vote, the presidential vote, my presidential vote, should be equally weighted across the nation. Now I understand that the Electoral College is written to the Constitution, so I understand that, but I ask, in the 21st century, does that still make sense? And I'll tell you, in 1948 and later 1968, and after the 1968 election, it actually was a pretty big deal. So, in 1968, there was a constitutional amendment that passed overwhelmingly in the House. And the reason this happened is because George Wallace nearly won enough of the Electoral College to throw the vote to the House. And amazingly, after the 1968 election, do you know who, do you know who one of the main proponents of the national popular vote was? President Richard Milhouse Nixon. Richard Nixon supported the popular vote amazingly because he was afraid of having the election thrown to the House and he realized what a crisis it would be to have the House choose the president. So there's two major flaws, two things that I'll point out that we have in our system that we should be afraid of. Number one, we should be afraid of having an election thrown to the House. That hasn't happened recently. It could happen, but that hasn't happened. And number two, we should actually not be in support of having presidents that are not popularly elected. Or the other way that I can say this is, we should be in support of having popularly elected presidents. And what's funny is when you look at the amendment, everybody agrees that the purpose of the Electoral College was to try to represent the popular vote. But over time, for some reason, partisans have taken this and said, oh, it's constitutional, we don't need to change it, but you know what, I think that we need a little tweaking. So why were previous congressmen, even why was Nixon, what, was, what were they so astute about? So again, our, our founders never intended the Electoral College to be a system where a minority of the population can dictate over the majority. In fact, our Constitution was founded on the notion that people have the right to choose their representatives. And our Constitution was founded on the fact that we would have democratically elected representatives executing federalism in our democratic republic and not like a king. So I know people are like, oh, let's respect the Constitution. Well, you know what? That's a ridiculous notion in the 21st century. We basically have an 18th century Constitution, and it was never meant to be an 18th century Constitution. So now we have a chance to move it into the 21st century. So every year going forward, I believe that our country is more informed, more educated, and back in the 18th century, they that Congress didn't even think that we would have such an informed voter when the Constitution was passed. When I look back at some of the debates of the previous Congress, the, the concern is that having a president that's not a popular winner does not have a mandate to have power and to implement policy. So again, and, and I'm gonna explain why some of the side that voted against popular votes, they had very parochial concerns. 
that means their, their concerns were very limited and very narrow. In fact, the fact that we've never seen an unpopular president in a long time at this time, some senators were concerned about the percentage that they were diluting their votes for the state, but there actually are some very real concerns with allowing an unpopular, a non-majority, a minority president, minority popular vote president to rule over America. I'm not talking about like a racial minority, it's fine. We had that with President Obama. I'm talking about a minority, an unpopular minority uh, voted in president. So I wasn't, I'll admit, I, w I didn't pay too much attention in 2000. I don't recall people being very freaked out about the fact that Bush didn't win the popular vote. So, in fact, I'll argue looking at that election that his margin being about 500,000 votes, uh, I would say that's a slim margin, and even though he technically didn't win the popular vote, it's close enough not to quibble with. So, we didn't vote under popular rules back in 2000, and the popular voting rules might change people that come out and vote for elections. Um, and I know more, people were more focused in the year 2000 on the Supreme Court deciding the election rather than the anything else. But, one thing we should be very concerned about is that in 2016 we had a president elected who lost the popular vote by two percentage points. Not 0.2 percentage points, not something like 500,000 votes. He lost by just shy of three million votes. That is a huge disparity, and that's hugely undemocratic to the system. So what's odd, if you look at all these debates previously, one thing that none of the debates seem to have about having a minority voting president, none of them touched on the Supreme Court. So, maybe 50 years ago the Supreme Court wasn't politically partisan. Maybe we were back, we were kind of naive and we didn't even think that the Supreme Court was as politically charged as it became. But the truth is, and again, even though I don't lump Bush in as much as Trump, five of the current nine justices were put there by a president who did not win the popular vote. But to me, more importantly, is the three of the justices that were put there um, with minority presidents. And in fact, if you count the five, that's enough to turn the Supreme Court, the balance, the ideological balance on the Supreme Court. Again, it's supposed to be nonpartisan, but I think we all know that the Supreme Court justices, they pretty much implement their partisan wishes and they're the, the ultimate arbitrator in, in our political system. Three of the justices there right now were put on by a minority president. Unfortunately, what there's been a lot of talk recently about why is the Supreme Court unpopular. It's pretty simple. Those justices were not elected by a national mandate. Brett Kavanaugh, Neil Gorsuch, and Amy Coney Barrett, those seats actually don't reflect the majority rule of the people. And that, people that are paying attention, it might not be a lot of people in the country, but people paying attention to democracy are like, hey, that, that erodes our democracy a little bit. I can make a strong argument that Justices Alito and Roberts put on the court by Bush are a result of similar, but the argument is more the fact that the Supreme Court tilted the uh, Bush versus Gore results. So it's really, even though they, you know, you can call it, essentially you can call it a popular vote tie, but the fact that the previous Supreme Court in 2000 uh, allowed President Bush to go on. They, they essentially controlled who won the, the, the who was on, who were the next two jet. Because of the ruling in 2000, they essentially controlled who ended up getting in the, the Supreme Court. So, I understand 
that the justices are very defensive and they're acting, they're, they don't understand why the country's upset with them, but maybe they should admit that they are not popular justices because the president who put them there didn't win the popular vote, and that feels, that not just feels undemocratic, that is undemocratic, and this upsets Americans. So much so that we've got a ton of constitutional crises in our nation, but I think this is one of the largest constitutional crises we have. We, the fact that we have an unpopular Supreme Court, and that's something for another episode. Now, another reason that we should ensure we elect the president with a popular vote is that the power of the president has grown so much stronger over the years. We can debate why. We can talk about 9/11 and the expansion of war powers, but legal scholars, but legal scholars have advanced this notion of the unitary executive power. This is the idea that the president has unchecked powers at the federal level to implement the policy they want through executive orders. Part of this is that the partisanship in Congress has gotten so bad that our legislative body is completely gridlocked. Congress, uh, they, there's major policies in this country that have gone undiscussed and un, un, uh, unaddressed for like 20 years. Uh, an example that I like to use consistently is the immigration policy. So this means essentially with a gridlock Congress, every presidential election it's the most important presidential election ever because it's going to decide not just the president, it's not just going to decide some policy. The president is so strong now that they pretty much can do whatever they want, unfortunately. Um, and it's not just the wars that have this. Uh, I was here, and I was paying attention in 2008, and when we had the financial crisis, I, I saw how much of a, you know, quite frankly, that was ex executive power to run amok when we had the financial crisis. And the legislative bodies, they were paralyzed to do anything when, when the bailout terms got changed. People can talk about immigration before, but presidents, they've exerted a lot of immigration power. So we, we have a system right now, we have DACA. Whether you, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with the policy or not, DACA was completely an executive power. DACA has not really been approved by Congress. Um, and unfortunately, it creates kind of like a, a hole for the people that are the students that are covered by DACA. And then another, another example that we have is the the federal inspector general purge under Trump. So uh, this is another scandal that's been really covered up because the Congress didn't really do anything to block him from uh, getting rid of the actual independent inspector generals. So I would argue that all presidents since George W. Bush, that includes Obama, Trump, and recently Biden, they've all expanded and utilized what I've called, what, not just me, but we call this unitary executive power. So it's therefore, since he's operating under more power, since he's the closest thing that we have to a king, he's not quite a king, there's checks and balances, but it's so much more important that our president is democratically elected. And unfortunately, the Electoral College does not do that. So to go back to the debate on the popular vote, what I find funny is that many of the senators that were talking about the power that they were losing, I have no idea where they were pulling calculations from, but they were talking about, you know, if there was a direct popular vote, the small states would lose, like, oh, I'd lose 30% of my vote. But nobody, for all intents and purposes, that's, that's not really important. Um, so what's funny is that a lot of small states, they were complaining, and they were in favor of... Uh, not having the popular vote and keeping the electoral college, but uh, I'll argue that the states that were arguing against it have lost a lot of electoral power anyway. So if you look at it in 2024, 
just like in 2020 and 2016, there's going to be a small number of states, the battleground states, that are going to decide the presidency. So here are the nine states. Nine states of our 50 states are going to be the ones that decide the presidency. And if that doesn't make all the 41 states upset, if I don't have 81 other senators here out here being enraged the fact that their constitution's votes are diluted, then you are not paying attention. So I understand why those nine states are fine with it, and I'll name them. Pennsylvania, Georgia, North Carolina, Michigan, Arizona, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Nevada, New Hampshire, and the extra districts in Maine and Nebraska. These are the states, you know what, I'll just name them. I'll call them the greater nine states. And all the other states, we'll just call them the lesser 41 states, and we'll throw the District of Columbia in there. So another complaint that was brought up against popular vote is that, oh, we're going to have fraud. What's funny is that one of the losing candidates in the recent election claimed, and actually if you go back to 2016, all the, there have been parts and there have been screams from both losing candidates that there was fraud. So the fact that in the Electoral College there was, you know, it was supposed to get rid of all the claims of fraud, unfortunately that's just not true. Um, in fact, I heard recently President Trump, when he was speaking in California, he claimed that he would have won in the state of California if there was no fraud. <laughs> if you believe that fraud is so widespread, if you believe that the fraud is so widespread, then wouldn't you believe that every election is suspect? So wouldn't that mean the 2016 election is also suspect and maybe there was fraud in 2016 as well? I don't know. Personally, I think that the people that run our election for, the, for decades have been fine. I don't have any issues with the votes, I don't have any issues with the vote countings, and I think we're catching the small amount of fraud that happens. Our elections are safe, our elections are secure, and our, our elections, for the most part, are democratic. As in, when you vote, your vote gets counted. And I think people that attack our elections, again, there's no proof that there's widespread fraud going on from any type of scheme. Nobody's voting five times, and if people are voting five times, they're getting arrested. I don't want to say there's a lot of people getting arrested for voting five times, but there's a handful. And they might not be the ones that you think are voting multiple times. Now the other argument people held up as to why uh, we don't need to have a national popular vote is that we've had a relatively peaceful transfer of power. That the Electoral College, for all its words and all of its bugs, all of the glitches, all of its wonkiness has led to a, na a, a peaceful transfer of power. <laughs> so I find that, again, I find it funny that the president that clearly lost the national popular vote in 2020 has caused the most ridiculous transfer of power when we had the January 6, 2021 riots. So again, how is it possible this same candidate completely has obliterated and I can't remember how many state lawsuits were filed in, but there were multiple lawsuits about state fraud. And you know what? None of those lawsuits came to fruition. None of those lawsuits came true. They were all bogus. So to close out, our constitution is about 250 years old. You know what? The people that wrote our constitution, they were fallible in many ways. Let's not treat them like they're some infallible organization, um, but because they are. If they're fallible, everybody's imperfect. And Americans for the past 80 years, which I'm calling four generations, we're a lot smarter, we're a lot more educated, we've been more civically informed, we're more understanding of political issues. So I don't understand why we don't come together and change the presidential vote to the popular vote. I, I say to you, throw your partisan hat away and think, 
you know, partisan thinking. Just get rid of partisan thinking. And what's funny is that the party that gains from the Electoral College, there's been a switch even over time frames. I think at one point Democrats used to benefit the Electoral College and Republicans wanted the national popular vote. And now I think it's largely switched that Republicans have the benefit of the Electoral College and they want to keep, keep it. So again, it could shift back the other way at some point where Democrats are ben benefiting, but you know what? I think the bottom line is that we should try to have the most democratically elected president as we can. And I would also argue if we went to a national popular vote, it would clear the way for making D.C. and Puerto Rico the 51st and 52nd states. There's really no reason for us to have territories instead of states. I understand why the District of Columbia, again, is created as a, a state, I again, but the, the reason why D.C. is not a state is just so archaic and very undemocratic to the people that live there. And I think that if we actually had a national popular vote, people would be less concerned with those states joining and, and they would welcome the District of Columbia citizens and the Puerto Rican citizens to vote and participate in democracy. So in, in closing, everyone in the nation deserves to have a say in the presidential election. This isn't just about 2024, this is beyond 2024. Right now, we're always going to have 9 or 10 states that are treated as more important. And we're always going to have about 40 states that are not treated more important. So I understand why those 18 or 20 senators might be happy about their states getting to play a big part in choosing the president. In fact, maybe it makes it so that there's less money spent. I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's less money spent. But I don't understand why 82 senators or 80 senators are fine with this system. And 82 senators don't care that their states, that their voters are getting disenfranchised. And this danger, unfortunately, this danger is only going to continue to get worse. I thank you for your time. I've gone way over time. And thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Mr. President, and I note the absence of a quorum. He is walking back right now. It's going to take him about a minute to get back here to his office. What did you think of the speech? I'm impressed. It was a good speech. We'll see how often Senator does this. I'm not sure if the background music made the speech more chill. Is national popular votes something that you thought of? It has been a while since I thought about the Electoral College. I think his explanation of the benefit of a national popular vote was bulletproof. Our politicians don't want to address some of the blind spots in our democracy. He's back. Senator is, is back with us. This guy has his mic on. Jamie, turn his mic on. I just was honored to stand in the same place that other senators have stood and given their first speeches. You stood where Joe Biden stood. What was Joe Biden's first speech on? He was talking about his good friend, Abraham Lincoln. <sighs> Come on, Mordecai. You know we've talked about this. That type of joke's not going to fly on my podcast. I'm going to find. I'm going to quickly find another producer. You can go. You can go find the next Rush Limbaugh, and you can go work on his show. But I don't want to have a show that just appeals to one side. I'm not trying to just appeal to Democratic listeners or Republican listeners. I'm trying to appeal to everybody, including independents. They're both above 75. Does it once they're above 75, like what does it matter? I mean, I demand that you fix your faux pas, and I demand that you make fun of Donald Trump's age. Go make fun of Donald Trump's age right now.
everyone is talking about the time that Donald Trump and Joe Biden went to Yankee Stadium and held hands while they watched Babe Ruth pitch. In fact, a lot of people are talking about it. It's true. According to Donald Trump, he told Babe Ruth to hit a home run for him. He would nail a building in Babe Ruth's honor. It was originally supposed to be called Ruth Tower, but Joe Biden forced him to call it the Trump Tower. That's what many, many people say. So just, I, I appreciate you fixing that faux pas, but let's pivot back to the Electoral College, please. So I feel like we're way getting off topic here. But what is the point? I feel like younger voters don't have, and when I was a younger voter, I looked like I didn't know enough to vote. But what about making everyone vote? Everyone should vote. I agree that when you are 18 and just coming in to vote, you have no idea. Voting is just fun and cool, and most people vote two ways. They vote in lockstep with their parents, or they disagree with their parents. Okay, so those are all good points, but I think that you guys are getting way too far from the topic that I want to bring up. And so let's go back to the issue of Electoral College. I mean, the popular vote, and getting rid of the Electoral College for the populate, so, popular vote. So, Amy, I want to ask you, it's pretty clear that you're not originally from the United States. Are you going to pick on my accent? because it is really hard for someone like me to speak in public. People make comments, ask me to slow down. Sometimes it has been frustrating in my life in America. That's not what I meant. I'm not, you know what, no, Amy, I'm not like that. I can understand too, because when I hear some accents, really, because when I hear some accents, really heavy and thick one, it is hard to understand also. I'm asking because I really do want to know what country you're from because I just want to have a random country to think about their politics and I want to understand how other countries select their president or political leader. Now maybe, it, I, I don't know, I have no idea. You could, you could be from a country that's copied the American Electoral College standard for all I know. I don't know where you're from. Um, if I was anti-immigrant or I was uncomfortable with you speaking on my podcast, I wouldn't let you speak as much as I do. I would tell you to just stay behind the scenes and be quiet. And I'd be kind of rude in that manner. But I think I don't have any problem with you, you speaking. I think that's obvious. So I don't like to talk about my country. It is in the Balkan region, but I get negative reactions when I speak about my country. No, no, that's good enough. That's good enough. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna press you on where you're from. I just know you're from somewhere in Eastern Europe, one of those countries down there, and it doesn't matter which country it is, we might just start calling you Bulgarian Amy. We're going to run through some of the countries in that region. So, Mordecai, are you with me on this? You have your Wikipedia, you have your Google, you ready for this? I want you to tell me. Take your time, but I want you to tell me, does Slovenia have a president? Slovenia's president is elected by the popular vote. Okay, I got another, I got a, let's come up with another good country there. How about, oh, this is a good one. How about Greece? One of like the birthplace of democracy, Greece. Does Greece have a president and how do they elect their president? Greece uses an indirect election via parliament. You have to win 200 of the 300 votes. Okay, I see another another uh, country is uh, Romania. You know, they've been in the news a little bit lately for the uh, for some guys out there in Romania. Does Romania have a uh, how do they elect their president? Romania 
He also used the direct presidential election, the popular vote. Another Balkan country is Croatia. So I know they've got a fantastic soccer team, but how does Croatia elect their president? Inquiring minds want to know. Croatia elects its president via popular vote. All right, so I think that we've got a good, you know, enough of them actually directly elect their president. So what are we doing here in America when, like, the Balkans region has got a better democracy than us? A more representative democracy than us? Yes, but yes, the ones you mentioned use popular vote. But one thing I will point out is that they have multiple rounds. Their requirement is 50% plus one, and a few of those countries use runoffs. Top two runoffs if someone doesn't get to 50%. Did you ever think we will see political change? Do you ever think this will get pushed again? Okay, I'm going to try to wrap this discussion up. But I'll say that I'm actually, I'm actually surprised that national popular vote hasn't been pushed more by the Democratic Party. Especially post-2016 and post-2020, where 2016... Hillary won the popular vote by a, a healthy margin, but lost the election. And 2020, Joe Biden won the popular vote by a huge... He won the popular vote by a huge margin, and that election was still a nail-biter. So, it shouldn't have even been any question on whether uh, Biden or Trump was... Or whether, you know, Biden beat Trump, and still we have these people questioning it. So, but I think, I think the issue for the Democratic Party themselves is that National popular vote opens up a door for a third-party candidate. And that, and I think both parties are afraid that in an election like this, you know, if we are moving forward with two unpopular candidates, we'd have a, we could have a third-party candidate who threatens them. Now, I'm not saying that RFK Jr. and Cornell West are a threat at this moment, or whoever no labels is going to put up. I'm not, I don't think that's a threat. But, and what's funny to me is that if you're really worried about, uh, if somebody wanted to make a true electoral college protest, I think running a candidate in like four states, like running a candidate in Texas, California, New York, Florida, maybe running candidates in like running a, a protest candidate in 10 states just to protest the Electoral College would be a smart idea for the people that are pushing for the national popular vote because what would happen if we had an election pushed to the House of Congress because nobody got to 270 electoral votes? I think that's a real... I think that's a potential possibility. So that to move it forward, you know, and also our electorate, we don't talk, we don't talk about national popular vote, and I feel like so, in some ways we have the the cat that chases the media, right? The media seems to set our agenda now. So like, what's happening recently? We had the Harvard president scandal. This is the perfect example of the media setting the agenda for the cat. The cat being the electorate. Why is why is Ivy League presidents getting fired and Harvard and scandals and why is uh, plagiarism? Why is this New York Times news? So yes, it you know anti-Semitism that's an issue, but did, did firing the president of these Ivy League schools, these uh, I believe it was UPenn and Harvard, is that going to solve the anti-Semitism problem? If you think that firing the president is going to solve stop people from being anti-Semitic on campus? I, I don't think that's true. And I think the real issue is that um, it was politically linked to the protest, right? And the 
people were upset about the protesters and people linked the protesting to anti-Semitism, which I, we're not hearing about that now. It's funny. Now that, now that the, uh, Harvard president and the, and the, uh, UPenn president are gone, we're not hearing about anti-Semitism anymore, even though I, I, I have no doubt that it happens. It seemed like, gee, that might have just been like a political windstorm that was, uh, brought up to, to, to you know, do something. But to me, the internet is supposed to be an idea exchange for people that can't afford a voice. And when you, when you have this Ivy League thing, it's blown up now to one, a billionaire hedge fund guy or a billionaire financial guy, uh, taking up space and getting involved. It's like, of course, uh, you know, is national popular vote important? Is being more democratic important? Or is silly little plagiarism slap fights important? I don't think silly little plagiarism slap fights are all that important. Um, but this just demonstrates how well the media wags the people's eyes. So anyway, I don't think this election is right for a third party. I don't think we're right. I, I don't... I don't think this election is ripe for pushing forward the national popular vote issue, but it could, depending on the result, we could have it, it could come back to the forefront. Roe versus Wade is gone because of the Electoral College. So, uh, and that was not, again, because the Electoral College was undemocratic. Uh, we had unpopular Supreme Court justices that were put on by Trump. So yes, he, he is allowed to put on uh, Supreme Court justices, but those justices moved forward with an unpopular decision, both in, and they didn't have a mandate for a, there was no mandate after 2016 for three right-wing judges on the national level. There was more of a mandate for a Democratic judge on the Supreme Court after that time. So Roe versus Wade is gone because the Electoral College and nobody talks about it. You would think that that would be a much bigger deal. The majority of the Supreme Court was put there by a president that didn't have popular support. It was undemocratically tossed by the undemocratic results of the 2016 election. Careful there, Senator. I see you dipping your toe into some shark-infested waters. So yes, I am, I am dipping my toe, but nobody wants to talk about it. We're seeing how popular Roe vs. Wade was, and you elect the person that has the most votes in general so that you can remain democratic. But by the, not democratic the party, but mean a democratic system. So we literally are seeing how popular, how rolling back a popular law or a popular judicial ruling is ticking people off. Remember when Nancy Pelosi said something during the time of Obamacare? I think she said, oh, don't criticize me for, uh, wait until you see how the law works. Meaning, don't criticize me for implementing something when you don't know how it's going to work. Well, Republicans failed that test with Roe versus Wade. And we are seeing all the effects. Everything negative that happened because Roe versus Wade was overturned. Yes, yes, exactly, Mordecai. Just don't get me started. I'm already wound up. Man, I've shocked me so much. You've given me a positive shock. I am listening to two men talk about Roe versus Wade, and neither of you are trying to tell me what I can do with my body. As a female, it's always strange how unqualified men are to take this issue up, and it is happening more. All the stories coming out about forced births and doctors being bullied. Doctors are being threatened, 
Idaho is forcing doctors to not help women. Whatever happened to healthcare is a private decision between a woman and her doctor. I think it is time to stop. Um, okay, Amy, let's step back. Let's step back. I know I started at Mordecai. We're going to, you're the only one that hasn't dipped your toe into the waters. Give us the life. Give us the life ring, the ring of life. We'll take that. Um, you started it. You dipped your toe. Now she dipped her toe. Anyway, I promise Amy, Mordecai, and I, we're going to work hard. We're still working. Yeah, we're going to work hard. We've got another good topic coming up. We still are working harder than Congress. Um, again, it's, it's something that I kind of think about what I want to say. I've got like four or five things that I want to say that I want to talk about. And then there's a bunch of things that come in uh, topical. So this one's going to be a very topical item that I've got. I'm excited. It should be out. I can't say shortly. It's not shortly. It's a couple weeks for me. I don't know how I, you know, we'll see how it goes. But thank you for listening. And with that, this session is now closed.